0: John chapter 6, verse 41, this is the word of God. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this morning.
1: If you have a Bible, please open it, uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to read and study the verses that Caleb read for us earlier in the service. Just as you're looking at up, um, we've been thinking a lot about service uh, over the um, last few weeks. Men's ministry, we already looked at it. Uh, soon Impact will be studying it, and we also thought about it last Sunday night, it would be in our first study in Philippians uh, 1. There's a few areas of service, um, and there are needs in those areas, so I'm just going to lay them before you, and I want you to pray about it, think about it, and perhaps it might be something uh, that you could pick up. The Ladies' Bible Study, which is fortnightly, Wednesday mornings, there's a need there for childcare, that might be something that uh, you might be very comfortable with, think about that. Junior Grid, which is our Sunday morning, uh, year eight to year ten, and old money, that's first year to third year. Um, and it's um, a lively bunch of young folks. Maybe that's somewhere where God might call you to serve. Uh, And then we have a buddy system um, to help young people with additional needs so that parents can stay in church, and we need a a strong team to do that, so you're not, in the sense, out every single Sunday. So those are three areas. If you want any more information, um, talk to uh, us staff or even mention to elders, and we'll hopefully put you in the the right direction. But these are three areas that I think we can learn to serve people and therefore serve God. Coming and believing, I mean, that's our uh, title today, and we trust that as we hear God's Word, we will know something more about coming and believing what this means. Let's pray together before we turn to the Word. Lord, we sang, open the eyes of our hearts, and we pray That in these moments together, that's exactly what you will do. And help us to hear your word, and may we be humble and receive it as you've given it to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So, are you familiar with the uh, purpose of, of John's gospel? It's actually stated right at the very end of the gospel. We've quoted a few times that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And what John has been is doing right throughout the whole of the Gospel is he's describing the way to believe, the way to live. He does this over and over again, and it's all wrapped up, of course, in the person of Jesus. The people who listened to Jesus teach about these things didn't, or couldn't or wouldn't grasp it. But Jesus graciously just continues to teach them. He doesn't give up on them. He patiently explains the gospel. And and he's going to do that again with these folks uh, in the setting of John 6, and even with us, patiently teaching us the truth. And what Jesus is really doing here in John 6 is explaining the purpose of the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was not really just to give people a free lunch. No. It was to point to Him being the bread of life. That's the point of it. Pointing to Him being the real and true manna from heaven. Pointing to Him being the real life for time and eternity. And we must understand that. I mean, if this is true, and it is, it changes everything about life, it changes everything about faith. If this is true, and it is, there's nothing superficial or unimportant about Jesus. If this is true, and it is, we should expect resistance and a negative response when we believe it and when we proclaim it. So Jesus teaches them, and he teaches us. And he continually uses images, and he tries to get people to think about the meaning behind the image. The image of hunger, for instance. The image of bread. The image of eating. The image of drinking. The image of blood and flesh. We're going to see all of these images today. But will we understand what is the point of these images? That's the question. We have two major points here today, some, some um, other subpoints. but first of all, we're going to think in the, and by the way, we're 30 verses, so buckle up, this is going to be a long one. Um, I expected a reaction to that there. <laughs> Jesus, the true bread of life, that's what he's really getting at in those, that first section from 41 to 59. Uh, we see how it all begins. You see how it begins in verse 41? At this, the Jews began to <clears throat> applaud him. Go on, Jesus, you're the truth. Tell it to us. Preach it, brother. No, at this, the Jews, the Jews began to grumble. Grumbling. And the basis of their grumbling there is in verse 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, I came down from heaven? Here's a problem of over familiarity. I wonder if you've come across that kind of aspect. Sure, he's our hometown boy. He's the local lad. How could he say he's come down from heaven? Jesus elsewhere said on one occasion, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And that's true back then. But you know what? There's also an aspect of this this true for us in, in our modern living Because if we have had the privilege of being brought up in the fellowship of the gospel, if we've had the privilege of being brought up under the teaching of the the church and among God's people, there is a, a temptation to treat the blessings lightly. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. That's what we say often, don't we? And it's certainly true here in verse 42 in the setting in John 6. And just because we have known about Jesus and just because we know of Jesus doesn't mean that what we know isn't true. I think sometimes we get the impression, those of us who are growing up and say, oh, because I was told this as a child, it can't be true. You know what? It is true. And I say to you, don't waste your privileges. You're here because God has brought you here this timing is perfect. I don't care what other invitation you might have received. You're here by divine appointment. Don't waste your privileges, and don't grumble about the ways and will of God. I mean, who are we to say to God, you should do it this way? You should have said it that way. This should be your plan. I mean, who are we to do that? Do we know better than God? Could, can we do better than God? Do you know what? There's there's a pride about humanity. There's a rebellion, and this is probably at its worst. How dare you say these things, Jesus? I mean, for us to grumble about the things that Jesus says is the height of pride and rebellion. But notice, Jesus doesn't argue with them. He simply goes deeper into the truth. I wish I'd learned this lesson many years ago. How many times have I started to try and argue with people? Don't argue, just explain the truth. And what we see here are three questions. Um, And we'll look at them and hopefully there'll be answers. Here's the first one. Who creates our spiritual hunger for the bread of life? The answer, surprise, surprise, is God. There it is in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Only he can draw sinners to himself. Only he does draw sinners to himself. He's the one who creates that spiritual hunger that, that draws us to the bread of life. He creates that appetite within us and draws us to the feast of salvation. Only he can do it. Only he does. It's because there's no hope for us if he didn't. Jesus is saying, would you stop your grumbling and think? think? They were the victims of incomplete facts. Again, common today, they actually didn't look for the evidence. They really didn't want the evidence. But what they had was lots and lots of their own judgments. This is the way I think it should be, and therefore, Jesus, I think this is the way you should do it. They forgot about the miracles. They forgot about the authority and the teaching. They didn't really want the truth. Verse 45, Jesus goes on to explain why they're like that. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. You see, their grumbling, Jesus says, shows that they're just like their fathers in the wilderness who grumbled before and during and after the gift of manna that came through Moses and their unbelief therefore was essentially a moral problem they just didn't want the truth and it's always like that do you remember in John 1 we learned that people love what they love instead of light they love darkness that's within us all And they didn't want to be exposed to the light. They didn't want to hear the truth. And so they argue and they grumble. But again, this is the thing that really struck me. Argument will not win them over. So Jesus doesn't argue with them. He reveals himself to them. But even then, sadly, they still remain in unbelief. Verse 45, you Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from whom comes to me, Jesus must take the initiative, and of course he does. If he didn't take the initiative, we would have absolutely no hope. Verse 46, Jesus is the only authorized spokesman for God. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And so you can trust him. I mean, who creates our spiritual hunger for the bread of life? God. God. And he draws us to himself. That's the good news. He draws us to himself. And some of you know exactly what I mean. Maybe others are a bit confused. What does that really mean? Here's the second question. Who is the true bread of life? And surprise, surprise, the answer is Jesus. And in these verses, verses 47 to 51, Jesus contrasts himself with the true, as a true bread, with the manna that was given to God's people uh, in the wilderness experience. And when people like us believe in the true bread of life, they're saved, verse 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. that's why Caleb dealt with that issue of the uh, everlasting life uh, with the children. At verses 48 and 49, Jesus is very explicit. I am the bread of life, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. He is the bread of life, that's what Jesus is, for life and for eternal life. But basically, Jesus is saying, you know what, your forefathers ate the manna, but they died. There was some satisfaction for a period, but eventually it led to death. Jesus says, I have come that you may eat and not die. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. Verse 50, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Jesus is on a roll here, isn't he? He's just teaching them more and more truth. They're grumbling. What does he do? I'll just keep, you, I'll keep teaching the truth. I wonder, this idea of eternal life, did you know that such a thing existed? I'm I'm sure you you did, but there could be someone here who's come in this morning, maybe you don't know about this thing called eternal life. Did you know that death, our final enemy, can be, has been defeated? Do you know that you can face your death with 100% confidence? Because of the one who is the true bread of life. See, God has provided the answer. I think, I don't think, I'm sure, we're far too worldly in our thinking and in our planning. You know, we spend a lot of our time and we give a lot of our energy to thinking about success and happiness and comfort and pleasure and money and relationships. But what about eternal life? I mean, do we ever really think about that? Life everlasting, life with a capital L, life eternal, from Jesus to people like you and me. Jesus does not argue with them. He doesn't give up on them, but he teaches them. And I hope that as we sang, God opened up the eyes of your heart to see and the ears of your heart to hear what he's really saying and who he really is. And then verse 51, uh, the middle bit there, this bread is my flesh. Jesus always pointing to his death, the cross, the sacrifice for sin, the bread of life will allow his body to be torn apart, to be ripped asunder on the cross. Why? Why? So we might have life. It had to be that way. There is no other way. And notice that little little verse there, I will give for the life of the world. There's There's a sermon, would you believe it, in that little phrase itself. I will give means it's voluntary. Do you know what Jesus is saying? I will give do you only know saying to these people, do you only know saying to you and me today, I passionately love you? I passionately love you. I will lay down my life for you. That's how much I love you. And I'm not going to do it grudgingly. I'm going to do it willingly. He asks you, he asked me this morning, do you know how much you're loved? The word for there is also important. I will give for substitutionary in your place. In my place, he died. Standing in our place, taking our punishment for me, for you. He was destroyed for us, and he was raised for us because he is the true bread of life. And then it's global for the life of the world, not just for the Jews, but now for all God's elect scattered over the earth, every race and background and tribe and clan. But what we're seeing here is that Jesus creates this appetite among us. God creates us. The Father creates the appetite. The Son is the true bread for the appetite. The third question is, how do we enjoy The bread of life, 52 to 59. Now, verse 52, we have a kind of silly question from people who get lost in the image uh, rather than the meaning. Verse 52 Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves how can this man give his flesh, or give us his flesh, to eat? They're suggesting that he is presenting an idea of cannibalism. But, haven't we said it before, Jesus constantly uses metaphors. You know the metaphor for Nicodemus? You must be born again, yeah? And then we had the Samaritan woman, I will give you living water. Here we have the bread of life. But each time, and there are many others, people got stuck on the metaphor. They couldn't, they didn't see the meaning behind it. And here we have Again, so so when he speaks about eating flesh and drinking blood, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about that inner food. He's talking about that inner spiritual sustenance. Verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now to understand uh, this, we've got to go to uh, uh, another verse, a verse that you actually looked at last week. In verse 35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Can you see there what's happening? Our eating is... You know, for, for to satisfy hunger is, has its meaning in coming, and our drinking to satisfy our thirst is satisfied in our believing, which is, of course, linked to the cross, the broken body, the spilt blood. Eating is coming, drinking is believing. It's not cannibalism. It's by coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus for salvation. So, don't get lost in the metaphor. See what the meaning is. You must eat. That means you come to him. And you must drink. You must believe in him. Have you done that? Because if you don't, can I assure you, sooner or later, you will start to grumble. Sooner or later, you will start to grumble. Notice in verse 59 where this occurred, it occurred in the synagogue. Um, Again, no wasted detail. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum Jesus always comes first to his gathered people, those who claim his name. They should understand, but in this case, they didn't. For them, there was no, no coming, they would not eat his flesh. No believing, they would not drink his blood. They didn't understand the image, even though it's littered throughout the whole of the Old Testament. They were, they were like someone, and one of the commentators used this as an illustration, that if you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you what your problem is, and then gives you a prescription, so far, so good. But if you refuse to go to the chemist, you're still sick. And here we have these people being told what their problem is, given the prescription, and they refuse to go and get the answer. Folks, my prayer for you is this, that we hear the message, and we act upon the message. We come to him, and we believe in him. So, who creates our spiritual hunger for the bread of life? God the Father. Who is the true bread of life? Jesus the Son. How do we enjoy the true bread of life? Coming and believing. Okay, so what about the response to the true bread of life, which is the last section? We've already noted that the Jews grumbled in verse 41. We're also going to see that again in verse 60 with a larger group of followers or disciples, in other words, a gathered group. They also grumbled. And then lastly, we're going to look at the 12 disciples in verse 67. And did they grumble? No, they didn't grumble. So let's look at these. Uh, we won't look at it again at verse 41. We've already looked at that. But what we see here is Jesus telling the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And when he does, do you know what happens? Some people just walk away. They desert him. They turn back and no longer follow him. You can see that. That's stated there very clearly in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turn back and no longer followed him. So, let's think of, the the, first of all, the defection, verse 60. That's where it all began. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The word for hard there could be harsh. In many ways, listen, it wasn't difficult to understand, but it was difficult to accept. Granted, Because this hard, harsh teaching, as we might interpret it, means that we have to lay down our independence, our self-sufficiency, our answers, our logic, our way of thinking, maybe the way we've been taught in previous churches, and that's hard to lay all that down, isn't it? That's the hard bit. But here's the lesson. And this, this is really, and if you're struggling to keep um, awake in the, the heat, please nip yourself and, and listen up to this. Because many who look like followers of Jesus will desert him. Many who look like followers of Jesus will desert him when they simply cannot accept what he teaches. Many, verse 66, many. And we need to be aware of this for two reasons. And I think we mentioned this before. The first reason is this, that we will not be part of their number. That we will not be part of their number. Because that's the great temptation, isn't it? The second reason is that we'll not be damaged when others around us that we know and love fall away. For those two reasons, we need to be aware of this. Because there there could be this conclusion in the back of our mind, if that person, you know, it could be a spouse or it could be a child or it could be a parent or it could be a best friend, if that person turns their back on Jesus goes back to the world, we might begin to think to ourselves, well, maybe they're right and we're wrong. Maybe we're the fools and they're the wise ones. Maybe the whole thing is just a farce. So we've got to know that many who looked like following him, many will desert him. They will desert Jesus and his church. So, let's look at the the pattern of all. Verse 61, where does it begin with? Grumbling. Aware that the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? It always starts with grumbling. And guess what? When you're in ministry as long as I have been, you start to see this pattern actually lived out in the life of the church and the life of individuals. It always begins with grumbling and complaining. Sometimes it's within the visible church. They might be in the congregation, and yet they're lost, and they cannot accept what Jesus teaches. That's why John, the same John wrote this in 1 John 2. God willing, we'll move on to 1 John after we finish John's gospel. He's talking about people who defected, they went out from us, but they were not really, they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would, not, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. In other words, you can appear to be with Jesus, but actually not be of Jesus. That's the sad reality. And eventually this will be revealed, time will reveal it, And we've seen that happen here in the past in this church. It's heartbreaking, but it happens. Probably it will happen again. And here's the saddest thing I probably have to say today as your minister and friend, I hope. There could be people in the church this morning and you are on the path to deserting Jesus. It could be you. And it starts with grumbling. It always does. Grumbling about doctrine. Election and predestination? Surely not. Surely God wouldn't be like that. And so they grumble. Sexual intimacy between a man and a woman within marriage only? That's what the Bible teaches. Surely that's too narrow in this day and age. Human life is precious and must be protected at all costs. Surely abortion is permissible in certain circumstances. And surely, you know, we put a a sick dog down because it's humane. Surely we should start to think about allowing and causing the death of an old sick person if they are willing. The cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Surely there are multitudes of other religions in the world. Listen, I could stand here and give you a dozen more, a hundred more reasons, because there's no end of the issues that can cause grumbling. And eventually people just walk away. Some find it impossible. Here's what one commentator said. Some find it impossible to embrace all that Jesus says. Say it again. Some find it impossible to embrace all that Jesus says. They can accept some of it, maybe most of it, but all of it? It has happened. It will happen. And how does Jesus respond? Times marching on. Verse 62, he basically says, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) You ain't seen nothing yet. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Listen, after I die and rise again, I'm going to ascend. If you think this is hard to believe what I'm teaching you, wait till you see that. Why does Jesus not just compromise? As many a church does, by the way. Why does Jesus not soften the message to accommodate, to turn it down, to tune it down a little bit? Because it's the truth, you see. And only the truth will set people free. So never, no, not a chance. He let the rich, young ruler walk away, didn't he? And verses 63 to 65, Jesus points out that the flesh is no help. You see, see, when we start to disagree with Jesus and argue and grumble about him, do you know what's speaking? Do you know what's taking over? Do you know what's dictating what we believe? It's the flesh. It's the flesh. And Jesus says, it's no help. In fact, it's a hindrance. And so, verse 66, the saddest, most tragic verse in this chapter, perhaps even in the book, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They left. And often they do. Many so-called followers, so-called followers, will not believe and it's been happening for 2,000 years I say again don't be one of them and don't be distracted by others who do we weep over them but let's not be distracted by them then lastly very lastly honestly this has gone on too long the challenge this is what Jesus asks in verse 67 he turns to the 12 you do not want to leave too do you Jesus asked the 12 that's a powerful question that I put to you, you do not want to leave, too, do you? It's easy. I mean, that's what the world's doing. Well, do you want to leave? And Simon has this brilliant answer, verse sixty-eight: "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God." And the answer comes in three parts very quickly. There's no other options. I mean, who else are we going to go to? Um, who else is out there? There's no alternative. And secondly, you alone have the words of eternal life. And thirdly, you are the Holy One of God. In other words, you're the promised Messiah, uh, the the Messiah of God's people, the one set apart to provide eternal life. Where else are we going to go? So we have some who grumble and then eventually walk away. That's going to happen. And some who say, where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. So the religious leaders grumble at the claims of Jesus. No way, not him. The religious followers, you were know, the kind of the religious followers, grumble at the truth and reject it. and Eventually, they turn back to the world. The true disciples keep on following right to the end. Folks, as we come to conclusion today, unless there's a mighty revival of God the numbers of Christians in the Western world, but that's the only part of the world, by the way, that the church is not declining. but in the Western world, the numbers will continue to decline. We're thinning out. Everywhere else, I'll tell you again, the church is growing. But the question is, what will you do? That's what I'm asking you today. What are you going to do? Are you going to leave? Are you going to turn back? Are you going to argue? with Jesus? Are you going to grumble at what he's just saying? Or are you going to say, you know what? I'm going to follow you for every day of my life, every, every breath that I have. I'm going to follow you because you have the words of eternal life, and there is no alternative. Verses 70 and 71 cause trouble for some, and there's no need. The reason you can say what you say Jesus says to Peter, The reason you believe what you believe is I've chosen you. Here, by the way, not not for salvation choice, but for apostleship choice. But even among you, even among the twelve, there's one deserter, there's one betrayer, there's one evil one. Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who, the one of the twelve, one of the 12 was later to betray him. It happened, and it happens. The responses, is defection. This is too hard. I can't accept it. I won't accept it. I say again, may it not be you. May it never be you. May it never be us. May it never be me. And don't be destroyed. Don't be devastated when it happens to someone you know and love. May God speak to us. These are heavy things we have thought about these last couple of Sundays. Nothing would please me more than to minister to you if you would like to chat about any of these issues. All you've got to do is ask. Father, we thank you for these words. Some might say harsh and hard, but they are the words of eternal life? To whom shall we turn or go to? We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. and That's all we need to know. Help us to believe. Help us to come. And help us to be sure of our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.